I'll probably remind you about this at the end, but want to let you know that next Sunday, which is May 1st already, isn't that crazy? Uh, well, after this weekend, it feels like it should be June 1st. Um, but uh, it's going to be our Baptism Sunday, and we've ha- already had several who have signed up for that. If you have not been baptized since you become a follower of Jesus, we would love to baptize you. Maybe you, you have questions about that or would just like more information without twisting your arm. Uh, I'd love to, to just share with you about what baptism means. So on your connection card underneath uh, um, My Next Steps, I think is where it's at, uh, you can check the, the part there about baptism, and we'll get you information, let you know more about that. So that's coming up next Next week, so excited about that. If you haven't been around here for a baptism Sunday, you've got to come back next Sunday. It is so, so much fun, honestly. It's like a celebration of seeing people externally, publicly demonstrate what God has been doing inside of them. It's so powerful, and so that's going to be a great Sunday. Hey, we are starting a brand new series this morning called Unstuck, and the whole idea behind this is that everybody in this room depending on the season that you're in, find yourselves from time to time getting stuck. And you say, stuck, what, what do you mean by that? Stuck in a place that keeps us, that hinders us from experiencing the peace that God has for us. And so maybe it's stuck this morning, we're gonna be talking about how, how we get unstuck from fear, but maybe, maybe it's getting stuck from next week, we're gonna talk about that gap between our expectations and reality and how sometimes we get stuck in that place and it can be a really hard and difficult place. Maybe you get stuck in that place of, of just not feeling God, not hearing from God, like you, the, that wilderness place of the soul. We're gonna be talking about how to get unstuck. And so I, I really encourage you to be here for this whole series. What we're gonna be doing each Sunday is looking at a psalm and uh, psalms, there's 150 psalms uh, right in the center of our Bible located in a book called the Psalms. Each week we're gonna be looking at one of those psalms and, and then we're gonna look at the story that corresponds with that particular psalm. You know, a lot of the psalms, they have a heading that will tell you why it was written and what was going on, particularly the psalms that were written by David. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do that each week. Today's no exception. We're gonna be looking at a psalm, looking at the story behind the psalm, and it's gonna help us to get unstuck from fear. So here's the deal with fear, is that every single one of us struggle with fear. I don't, maybe you've got all the money in the world. I promise you, you still have fear. Or maybe you've had success in life. You, you would still experience fear. From the youngest person in this room to the oldest person in this room, we all struggle with fear. And sometimes, you know, it's the, the things that, that we kind of laugh at and, and uh, you know, the fear of the dark or fear of spiders or fear of public speaking or, or those kind of fears. But honestly, we live in a world that is just pumping out fear because fear sells. There's an economy behind fear. Fear gets clicks. Fear gets eyeballs. And so we live in a time where, where if we're not careful, we are submerged in fear, fear in the macro level. I mean, we're now, I think today is literally day 60 of this invasion of Russia into Ukraine and all the implications that have happened with that on a geopolitical side. But, but then if, if, if you're not careful, you forget about what's going on in China or you forget about what's going in Iran. And, and, and I mean, fear just geopolitically, totally outside of our control, but it will, it will take you down, won't it, if you go down that rabbit hole? Or just in our own nation, the fear of the economy. And we already knew that we were struggling with inflation, but now we're going to have interest rates that are going to be raising. And, and what's going to happen with that? And, and, and you know, some of you are like, I'm getting fearful from you talking, Ken. 
Like I wasn't fearful and then you started rambling and now I'm getting fearful, right? For, for us personally, fear of our finances, is my retirement enough? For fear of, am, am, is my life gonna count? Is there gonna be, is my life significant? Am I gonna get to the end and it'll be for nothing? Like, like these fears of, is she gonna leave me? Is she gonna stay with me? Or, 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 or is she gonna abandon me like so many other people in my life have abandoned me? Or, I mean, we all struggle with fear, right? And what I love about the Word of God is that the Word of God doesn't sugarcoat this. These characters, these heroes in the Word of God that we so look up to and so revere are people who struggled with fear just like we do. And David, David is no exception to this. I don't know if everybody in the room is familiar with David. Maybe there's somebody who's never heard of David. A lot of us in this room grew up in church world, going up, growing up in VBS and Sunday school, and so a lot of us in this room know a lot about him, but maybe you don't know anything about him. David is the infamous, maybe, maybe you've heard of David and Goliath. He, when he was just a young teenager, David faced off with his nation's like villain, you know, the guy who was the, the strongest man from the tribal system on the other side of Israel named Goliath, and David is a young teenager took him down, like defeated him. I mean, this was huge, and it, and, it, and it escalated him, it elevated him to national hero worship, and, and people were singing songs about David, and, and David begins now to lead other warriors from Israel into battle against their enemies, and he's, every time he goes out in battle, he's successful, and I mean, David is the man. He catches the attention of King Saul, who is a man riddled with deep insecurities, and so King Saul, is, if you can imagine a man with insecurities who is a, a king of a nation seeing this upstart, this teenage kid like growing in military success and prowess, like the King Saul becomes so jealous that at a dinner party where there's all these people there, I mean, they're witnesses to see what he does, he takes a spear off the wall and tries to, tries to kill David with it. David is no dummy. He goes running for the hills, but he's all alone. He doesn't, later on, he will kind of accumulate this band, this motley crew of, of, of losers and, and, and different guys who come alongside him, and they kind of create their own little misfit army, but, but this is before all that. It is just David in the wilderness running from an insanely jealous king and all the armies of this king. And you can, I mean, can you imagine he's now maybe in, uh, in his older teens, maybe he's in his early 20s, but can you imagine being in that situation where all the armies of a nation are coming against you trying to take you out? And he finds himself in the wilderness and, and he finds the king coming against him and he feels like the only choice that he has is to cross the border into the territory of the Philistines. And this is desperation for David because if you remember, the champion of the Philistines was in fact Goliath that David had already defeated. So you've got to be really desperate to think that he's going to be more safe in the territory of the Philistines. And he's thinking that maybe the people won't recognize him. Maybe they won't understand who he is and so that he would have more safety in that region. But he gets the attention of the king of the Philistines, and the, and the title of this king is Abimelech. That's his title, but his name is Achish. And Achish finds out that David is in their territory, and, and this is where we're going to pick up. We'll put this up on the screen from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And this is the story behind the psalm that we're going to look at in just a moment. In 1 Samuel 21, verse 12, it says, David heard these comments. He heard what, what King Achish had heard about him and was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. 
So David pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. And finally, King Achish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. I think that's good Bible humor right there, right? Like, Achish is like, I don't need another insane dude. Like, surrounded by insanity. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? So David, the next verse, 22, verse 1. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all of his other relatives joined him there. But they haven't yet. And so think about it. David is in this place where King Saul and the armies of Israel are against him on one side. King Achish is against him now from this other side. He has made like this daring daylight escape. He is now in the cave of Adullam. Dopamine racing through his system I mean have you been there like we're like holy crap I just made it now you wouldn't say that because you're holier than me but like I, I I don't know how I'm gonna I don't know what's gonna go down here right this is fear this is fear in its essence and so if you open your Bibles now to Psalm 34, and I really want you to look at this. We're going to look at this whole chapter. By the way, if you're concerned about the rest of the series, this is the longest chapter that we will look at in this series by far, okay? So uh, we're, going to, we're going to look at Psalm 34, and it's in this cave of Adullam, all alone, before his brothers, before this motley crew surrounds him. He is all alone in the wilderness, literally in a cave, and he pens a poem. He pens a song And this is the song, this is the poem that he pens. And instead of me reading it for you, we're going to have Walt Talley read it for you. Look at the screen. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell the Lord's greatness and let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation I prayed, and the Lord listened, and he saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you as godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even the strong lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? And keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call for him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. None of them are broken. Calamity will surely destroy the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished 
for the Lord will redeem those who serve him, and no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So what do you do when you're stuck in fear? How do you respond? I think this poem that David writes is so instructive. It's interesting that the first two words that he utters are the words, I will. I will. Those are strong words. I will. He had made a decision that no matter the pressures that surrounded him, he was going to make a decision. He was making a decision to praise God, to look to God. I, I, I looked at this, uh, this passage, this whole uh, psalm in a number of different translations, at least a half a dozen translations, and kind of made my own version of this, okay? So, so I'm going to read the first three verses, and, and this is kind of my own compilation, okay? Here's what I have him saying. I will declare God's greatness every chance I get, even when I don't feel like it. I won't quit telling everyone about who he is and what he has done. My soul, remember in the, in the Hebrew, the soul represents your thinking, your emotions, and your choices, right? He says, my soul will only boast in God. And then he asks this question, and he's in a cave all by himself, but he's penning the psalm, and, and he's imagining an audience. He's imagining people that are reading this. Maybe even he's imagining 3,000 years later a room like this of people that would, I, I can't imagine he even thought that that was possible, but he, he asked this question of his imaginary audience. He says, are you discouraged, afflicted, helpless? Listen, hear what I'm about to say. It's a reason for happiness. Not only that, let's join together declaring God's greatness. Together, let's make his name famous. So David starts out by saying, I will, but then you see this sense of, 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 of constancy, of persistence. I will continually, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak. And he's realized that while the circumstances around him will change, God will never change. That he can put his trust in him. He continues in verse 4 to tell his own story. He doesn't give the details like we learned about in 1 Samuel, but that's in the heading of the psalm that he writes. Now he just kind of talks about the emotions that he was feeling in that moment, beginning in verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered and freed me from all my anxious fears. Whether you have a nation, an army, and a king coming against you on one side and another king on the other side, or maybe for you, your fear doesn't seem as significant, but it keeps you up in the middle of the night, listen, you have confidence that God can deliver you from your anxious fears, from all of your anxiety. He says, everyone, this is still part of his story, he says, everyone who looks to him for help will be radiant with joy. He completely took away my shame. Sometimes in the midst of fear, we actually feel shame then. It's like a double-prong attack, right? Like on one hand, like there's a fear because of whatever's going on, and then the enemy gets us and says, well, I thought you were a child of God. I thought that you loved Jesus. I thought yada, yada, yada. And so the next thing is we're feeling shame over it. And he says, no, 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 listen, he completely took away that shame. I love this next part. When I had nothing and was totally desperate, have you been there before? I got nothing. When I had nothing, it was totally desperate. I cried out to God. I love this. The God of the universe not only heard me, but answered me. He totally set me free from all my fears and troubles. 
I experienced his miracle deliverance when I needed it most. And this is so cool. God's angel actually stooped down and set up a circle of protection around me. He defends and empowers everyone who what? Who fears. You're like, I don't know. It's your own translation. Okay, never mind. He, listen to this. He defends and empowers everyone who fears him. So in the midst of talking about his own fear and his own anxiety, what he's come to realize is there is one to fear who is far greater than the fear of the situation that he finds himself in. And that is to fear God. And I don't mean in the sense that, it, that we fear the situations around us, we have a fright of the situations around us, but when we look to God and see how incredible he is, how immutable he is, how eternal he is, how great and powerful and merciful and faithful he is, then the things that I'm facing, they're just temporary. Like Norma Harmon tells me all the time, the first hundred years are the hardest. Right? I mean, eventually, the season I'm in will come to an end. One way or the other, it's going to come to an end. But there is a God who is eternal and who is everlasting. And when I choose to fear him, there is a defense and empowerment. God, I love, David says there was literally a warrior angel that was sent on my behalf. And he encircled me with his protection. I love that. In David's young life, this is the most difficult situation that he had yet been through. Here he is in his late teenage years, and probably the most difficult up until this point might have been Goliath, might have been some of his interactions with the kings. But here he is now, and he's all alone, and he's in a cave, and he's just faced down this issue between Saul and Achish. And and this is the worst that life has gotten. And if you know the story of David, you know that the worst had not yet come for him. Things, things were actually going to get far worse for David in the future. Some of the things that were going to happen in his life were going to be because of his own choices, his own decisions. But life was going to get difficult for him. And he was learning even at a young age, middle school students, high school students, listen up. Like he was learning at an early age how to deal with the fear of situations that seem to engulf you. He was learning to call on God. He was learning about the protection of God. So next in verses 8 through 10, David pivots to his readers. Just as he he has experienced God's salvation, he wants his readers to know that they can experience God. Look at what he says. He says, this is beginning in verse 8, with all your senses. I love this about God. God isn't just, he doesn't just speak to us from on an intellectual level. David says, with all of your senses, taste. Smell, sight, touch, experience the goodness of God. When you run to him and hide yourself in him, you will encounter his joy. God has made you holy, so worship him in awe and wonder. When you worship him, listen to this, when you worship him, a door is opened to his goodness. Why is that? It's because I'm, I'm changing the direction of my focus. I used to, as a young man, I used to run, and now that I'm getting older and middle age, I jog, is what I tell people. <laughs> There's a difference, right? And if you've ever ran, you know that, that you move in the direction of your focus. It, you have a hard time running this direction if you're looking this direction, right? That's just a principle in life in general. And so when I worship God, it's changing my focus. Worship isn't, God isn't up there just going, oh, please, tell me more about how awesome I am. 
Worship affects me. Worship changes me. Worship changes my paradigm and my perspective. And so when I'm moving in the direction of worshiping God and declaring his greatness and declaring who he is, it opens a door to his goodness, to the provision that was already there waiting for me. He says, you will have everything you need. Even the strong and the young grow weak and hungry, but those who passionately pursue God have everything that they need. I love that. And then in the last portion of Psalm 34, verses 11 through 21, David now gives us some just very practical wisdom for dealing with fear, for getting unstuck from fear. In fact, this last portion that we find in Psalm 34 will be quoted a thousand years after David pens this by the apostle Peter. Peter, after Jesus' death and resurrection, after Jesus had ascended to heaven, Peter becomes one of the most vocal preachers of the gospel in that first generation. And at one time, he's writing a letter, or most people believe he's dictating a letter, and, and in, in that letter that he's writing to new believers, new followers of Jesus, he actually reaches back a thousand years to this, this psalm, this poem of David, and, and, and takes a whole portion of what we're going to look at next. Because it's so important for us. It's so important for followers of Jesus. And so what I want to do real quickly is just look at five principles, five real practical helps when we're stuck in fear. And I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. Some of you are like, oh, re- really? Like you're 15 minutes into this thing. Here, how to get unstuck from fear. And, and, and I'm going to try to make this as elementary as possible, not because I'm disres- disrespecting you and your intellectual level, but because this is how I remember it, okay? So I don't want you to get your panties in a wad and be like, man, I'm smarter than this. Like, help me out here. This, is, this helps me to remember it, okay? If, when you find yourself stuck in fear, here's the first thing. Watch your words. And I literally have to make a motion to help me remember this. So for me, the first one is watch, watch your words, I, when I was reading this, the first few times I was reading through Psalm 34, and you get through all this, and then it seems like out of the blue, like somebody accidentally copied and pasted this into Psalm 34, because it doesn't seem like it should fit until a light bulb went on for me. Look at Psalm 34, verse 13. David says, then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Like, honestly, when you look through it, it doesn't feel like it fits. But here's here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me, is that when I am full of fear, I am tempted to believe and speak lies regarding my situation. Pastor Aaron used a great big word this week that I was like, oh, man, I wrote it down. Catastrophize. Like, man, you're smarter than sometimes you let off. You know, this guy's a really... He is very smart. Sometimes he tries to make himself to look like every man or something, but catastrophize. That's a word I haven't used in a long time. Catastrophize means, let's put it this way, you make a mountain out of a molehill. And sometimes with our speech, with our language, we begin to speak lies. I'll always. I'm always... always getting on my kids about this like when I hear them use it I'm like no that's not true that's a lie I'll always be this way how about never I'll never be able to change impossible this is impossible what are those are all lies and when I'm stuck in fear the temptation is for me to to speak untruth I'm a follower of Jesus 
I follow the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Like he, he, he is the way maker, right? We sing about this. And so what I need to do when I'm stuck in fear, I have got to go to God's word and see what he has to say and begin to repeat his truth. And sometimes if you're a new believer, if you're a new follower of Jesus, what this means is you might need to find somebody who is a couple steps further ahead of you in this journey of following Jesus and just say, hey, can you help me? I'm not that familiar with the Bible. Can you help me find some of these truths that I can begin to rehearse? I was talking to a, to a young man this past Friday morning and uh, he's trying to follow Jesus and just keeps butting up against situations in life. And so, so we were just talking and, and I was talking about this idea of taking scripture. And I said, what I do is when I come upon a scripture that's helpful, I'll write it down on an index card and I fold it and I, and I, and I memorize it. You know, I'll carry it around with me and, and I memorize it. And he says, well, I, I can't memorize and I said, well, you can't, or, you know, like, is this one of those things where you need the truth of God's word? And he says, what? A doctor literally told me that I'm not capable of memorizing things. I was like, well, I don't know about that doctor, but okay. So let's just, let's just say you can't. And maybe some of you in this room would actually, you know, you won't say it publicly because you're afraid that you're going to get shamed or something. But maybe you're here and you say, I, I can't memorize stuff either. I said, here's the deal. You don't even have to memorize it. Just write it down, put it in your pocket. And set like 10 alarms on your phone every day at times where you're not in a meeting or you're not going to get in trouble. And just every time that alarm goes off, just pull that thing out of your pocket and just read over it and, and just read it. You, you don't have to memorize it per se. Just keep reading it. Just keep bringing it up. Set it as a reminder and whatever works. Like, like here's the deal. We've got to watch our words. When I'm stuck in fear, my words are super powerful. And if I'm not careful, I begin to just put it on auto repeat. And I just keep speaking this stuff and no one is there to catch me. And so, and I do this. I'm a pastor of a church and I find myself doing this. When you're stuck in fear, you gotta watch your words. Here's the second thing. At first it doesn't seem like it, it connects, but it does. The second thing is do the right thing. And I'm kind of pointing at my eye, but I'm also pointing at my mind. Like this is about action. This is about doing the right thing. David goes on and he says, turn away from evil and do good. This is watch your words, watch what you're saying, stay away from lies, but then turn away from evil and do good. And here, here's why this is important when you're stuck in fear. When I'm afraid, I'm tempted to take matters into my own hands. The Bible is full of examples of individuals who had a promise from God, and yet they became fearful, and so they took matters into their own hands, and they exasperated the situation and made it worse. I immediately think of Abraham, right? I mean, you're going to be the father of nations. And he's looking around and he's going, I don't have no kids. How am I going to be the father of nations? And he, he waits, waits for God's faithfulness. He waits as long as he can wait. And finally, him and Sarah develop a plan that he's going to go have sex with another woman and, and her child will be the, and God's like, no! That's not how this works. Listen, when I'm stuck in fear, it's amazing the things that will tempt me. I've seen people stuck in fear who decide that they're going to leave their marriage. No, no, no. Do the right thing. I've seen people stuck in fear, singles who stuck in fear, go after somebody that they, they, they have no business being in a relationship with. I've seen people stuck in fear who, who take another credit card out and max out another credit card because 
It, why? Because it's fear. I can't do this. I'm praying. God hasn't opened up the finances, and so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Listen, when you are stuck in fear, watch your words, but also make sure to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Sometimes, sometimes it's doing the right thing, the hard thing. Doing the right thing might be not chickening out of a conversation that you need to have with somebody. I mean, it can be a whole host of things. If you're stuck in fear, maybe the prayer you need to just start praying is, God, what is the right thing that you are wanting me to do that I'm not doing? Sometimes I'm stuck because of disobedience. So if I'm, if I'm stuck in fear, I need to watch my words. I need to do the right thing. And here's a big one. I need to prioritize. I was going to do three fingers. This isn't going to help. I need to prioritize peace. I wasn't of this generation. This is actually a generation before me, but peace, man, peace, right? That's the only sign, like peace. Like, is that even the right way to do it, or do you got to do it like, I don't know. Some, some of you older people can tell me later prioritize peace. Listen to what David says. David says, listen to the language that he uses here. He says, search for peace and work to maintain it. In the Hebrew, maybe you don't get the sense of it in the English, in the Hebrew, this is very active. It's not just sitting back, it's not sitting on a couch and waiting for peace to come your way. No, he says, seek, pursue, work all for the object of being at peace. Here, here's, th- this probably isn't true of you, but when I'm stuck in fear, I tend to blow things up. Anybody else? You guys are all perfect saints. And so what David is saying, you gotta work at this. You gotta search for peace, and you gotta work at maintaining it. And sometimes that means that I've gotta do things that I wouldn't ordinarily do because I'm stuck in fear. And so maybe it means changing what I listen to. Maybe it means changing, instead of watching news 24 hours a day, seven days a week, maybe I turn the news off and I start listening to worship music. I start going through a Bible app that reads it to me um, out loud as I'm shaving in the morning. I mean, there, there's so many different things. Work at peace. Work at, at maybe, it's, maybe it's in this beautiful weather and you're stuck in fear. Get out on the bike trail and just go for a walk and, and talk to God as you're walking. You don't have to use King James language as you're talking to God. You can be real. You can be raw. You can tell him exactly how you feel. Work for peace. Work for peace. Call a trusted friend. Wait before sending an email. Wait before posting on social media. Maybe pause your social media for a while if you're stuck in fear. I think it'd be a great idea to do that, by the way. Okay, so if I'm stuck in fear, watch your words. Do the right thing. Prioritize peace. Cry out to God. If I have both hands, cry out to God. Cry out to God. You see this all over Psalm 34. Uh, Psalm 34, let's look just in the section that we're reading right now. Look at verse 15. He says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and I love this, his ears are open to their cries for help. God isn't up in heaven going, nah, 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 not listening, can't hear you, nah, 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 nah. I've got my AirPods in, I can't hear you. That's my kids, every time I yell for them. I didn't hear you, I had my AirPods in. His ears are open to their cries for help. 
Skip to verse 17. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them. Listen, he rescues them from all their troubles. Well, I, I cried out to God for help and he did not rescue me. Well, first of all, we got to do all of the stuff. Okay, can't just do one of the things. You do all the stuff. But also, how do you know his, res- his rescue doesn't always happen in our timeline? In this psalm, David talks a lot about crying out to God. And so here's the temptation when I'm stuck in fear. Instead of crying out to God, instead of drawing near to God, what I'm tempted to do is to distance myself from God. I start distancing myself from the people of God. I stop going to church. I stop reading the word of God. And here's the thing. When I'm stuck in fear, I need to do the exact opposite. I need to move toward God. God, I don't like this. I don't like you right now. I don't appreciate what I'm going through. Like I thought you were greater than this. But move toward him. David does this all the time. Bring your complaints to him. Cry out to God for help. God, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm suffocating. Where are you? Help me. Move toward him. Cry out to God for help. Watch your words. Do the right thing. Prioritize peace. Cry out to God. And then finally, wait for his rescue. And the wait for his rescue, I just think of like a a, a referee, an umpire. Safe, right? Like, wait for his rescue. Look at what he says in in, in, uh, uh, all throughout All throughout uh, Psalm 34, verse 4, he says, he delivered me from all my anxious fears. Verse 6, he saved me from all my troubles. Verse 7, he defends all who fear him. Verse 17, he rescues them from their troubles. Verse 18, he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Verse 19, he comes to the rescue each time. Again, he doesn't always rescue the way that I want him to. But he has a lens of eternity that I don't have either. He sees things beyond what I can see. And I need to have confidence that he is listening to me, that he hears me, and that he will ultimately come through for his children because he is a good and perfect father. Now it's the last verse of Psalm 34 that I find particularly encouraging. And we'll put this up on the screen. This is, again, kind of my compilation of this verse 22. It says, but the Lord will rescue his servants, personally paying for their freedom. In a lot of your translations, you see the word redeem, but that's exactly what's going on there. Let me read that again. The Lord will rescue his servants, personally paying for their freedom. And then he ends with this. There is no condemnation for those who, trusting in him, take refuge in him. And what I love about this, I don't even know if David knew what he was doing. I think the Holy Spirit is just working through him at this point in, in this psalm that he's writing, in this poem that he's writing. But the very conclusion, he's pointing us to Jesus. That when you and I were a slave to sin, God redeemed you. Redeem means he purchased you back. He, he personally paid for your freedom. How? At what cost? Through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus. He has purchased you back. He has has made way so that you can have a right relationship with him. And not only that, if you trust in him and take refuge in him, you will never be condemned by God. That's what that second part of that verse says. 
You'll never be condemned. I love this. That when I'm stuck in fear, the greatest thing I need to do is remember that Jesus died for me. He died not only for my sin, to take that sin off of me, to actually take that sin upon himself. He died that I don't have to walk in condemnation. I don't have to walk in shame and guilt. And for David, the situation honestly did not change. King Saul was still insane, and he still was in control of the armies of Israel. And King Achish was on the other side, and here he is in a cave. And by the way, for the next couple chapters, he's going to spend a lot of time in caves, still running from an insane king. And yet he knew that this is a God who loves him. And he began to watch his words. He began to do the right thing. Sometimes he didn't get that perfect. As we get into the story, we'll find that out. He would prioritize peace. He would continue. This would be the story of David's life, crying out to God. And he would wait for God's rescue. And I'm wondering this morning if maybe you're here and you say, Ken, I'm stuck in fear. That's not, that's not a thing to be ashamed of. By the way, every one of us at some point or another gets stuck in fear. So if you find yourself in that place, you don't need to be ashamed of that. It's just your reality. But if you're here and you say, Ken, I'm stuck in fear. And I need, I need God's help. I need him to reveal himself to me in this season. We don't do this every week, but I just felt as I was preparing for the sermon, I really needed to give people an opportunity to physically respond, to, to move it forward. In the church I grew up in, we, we would call this the altar. And the reason why it was altar isn't because the carpet up here is better than the carpet out there. But it's, it's just a different space in the church that is consecrated. We've, had, we've, we've spent so many hours of people up in this space just praying, literally on their hands and knees, praying over this spot that is a place consecrated and holy unto God, that God might do something in this space that he won't do when we're sitting in the chairs otherwise. If you're stuck in fear, I want to challenge you. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. You can stand. You can kneel. You can stoop down. Whatever posture you need to take, that, that's fine. But then some of God's people are going to come behind you. We're not going to be weird. We're not going to be pushing people's heads down or anything like that. We just want to come alongside you and agree and ask God to break through in your life. That at the very least, that he would reveal himself and reveal his presence and his peace to you in the situation you're going through. Listen, I've, I, I personally have seen people riddled with fear that in just a season of praying over them, a release happened. Doesn't always happen that way, but I've seen God do it. And maybe, maybe that's what God has for you this morning. So if that's you, I'm gonna, instead of making this real prolonged, if that's you, would you just come to the front? You're, I'm stuck in fear right now, Ken. I'm going to ask you to have the courage to stand up and to walk to the front if that's you. I know there's 
There's many others. So don't, don't wait. Don't fight it. Some of you right now, they're literally, like you, you've got the back sweat going on and everything right now. And you're like, I'm not going to the front. Don't fight it. If, if you're feeling that sense that you need to respond, just come. And I'm going I'm to ask, especially right now, some, some men, some godly men to come and pray for these who are in the front. And if others need to respond in the meantime. Listen, this is what church is. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Like, like church is one another. Church is saying, hey, I don't have it all together. Church is, I'm stuck in fear. I need someone to pray for me. Church is rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and it's weeping with those who are weeping. That's what church should be. It's one another. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. You are our rescuer. You are our savior. And we come to you. God, we come to you when life is great and there's blessing and there's prosperity and there's provision. And we come to you when we have nothing and we are empty and we're broken. And life seems cruel. It seems to be squeezing the life out of us. God, we come to you. When our souls are troubled, we look to you. We have no other hope, God. Some trust in the systems of this world, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So God, we pray for your help that we would, that we would not speak lies, God, that we would speak your truth over situations. And show us, maybe we're not even aware of the lies that we're speaking. God, show us, reveal those things to us. God, that we would do the right thing when we're stuck in fear. That we would prioritize peace instead of blowing things up around us. That we would cry out to you. And God, that we would cry out to you now with a religiosity. We would cry out to you with authenticity and transparency. And God, I love this. We're waiting for your rescue. We're going to persist. We're going to keep on coming to you. We're going to keep on waiting. Because we know you are the God of breakthrough. You are the God of freedom and liberty. You are the God of peace, shalom, well-being. And so I speak that over every man and woman in this room. I speak your peace. I speak your life. I speak your hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can continue. Please continue praying. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to thank our greeters, and um, I'm not sure if our greeters need to respond with the, the white buckets in the back. That way we can get the connection cards. Thank you guys for helping out with that. Hey, this week, when you find that fear coming over you, may you speak truth. May you watch your words. May you do the right thing. May you prioritize peace. May you cry out to God. And may you rest in his safety and his protection and his rescue. God bless you guys. We'll see you later.